0: Welcome, everyone, to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today, our weekly podcast very excited about wrapping up some thoughts that we've had with my son, Brian, and our conversation around Ride the Elephant, the journey to true success. And Brian, question I had for you as we begin this conversation today. At any time when we had this conversation, did it come up for you to say, hey, there's an elephant in the room, I need to ride it. Instead of simply ignoring it, I need to address it. Did anything come up for you as you went through this process of reading the book and having this discussion with me on these podcasts.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to get on these calls with you and meet with you in person some of the time and have this ongoing conversation. I definitely (laughs) have elephants in my room. It's a zoo in here. And I have avoided some of these challenges. And I think it's high time that I get on top of them instead of pretending they're not there.
1: Did you have any thoughtful reflections on any new awareness that you had? And it, did it create any questions for you?
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think of kind of an example. Parenting is significant. in The way I talk to my kids and relate to my kids. And also dealing with trauma. Those are some of the elephants in my room, I guess. And I have spent time in the past with this material and with the book. But it's interesting new and reinvigorated ways of feeling emotional and feeling thoughtful about the material come up every time I talk about it, especially with you. And if I may share, one really significant new awareness that I have had is this idea of justice and victimization and feeling that for ways that I feel wronged, I feel like that justice has not been done for those wrong. And... This process has kind of called that into question. That's one of the significant things that's been called into question. So I feel differently about my appetite for justice. And I've really started to feel differently about that and let that go. Justice doesn't come by my machination. It's not something that I can necessarily force or create it's something that happens apart from me and so I've revisited that idea of acceptance not just of accepting others the way they are accepting myself and loving myself the way that I am but accepting the crap that's happened to me and really releasing my desire for justice around those things and recognizing that you know what that doesn't matter And the more I make it matter, the more of a hang-up it is. So it's freeing to just accept, hey, that happened. What's next? That's been a big new awareness for me.
1: Well, I I think that's huge because one of the things we talk about a lot in the process of riding the elephant, it's really saying, yes, these elephants are in a room. These things happen to us. What happened to us was unfair, and a lot of people we could blame. There's a lot of people we can get angry and bitter about. However, what you're talking about is that your response is different now than it was before. Yeah, Because we have the ability to respond to things in a different way. And it's one of those things that we have to go to our core belief and make some shifts in our core belief in order for our response to change, because it's the belief values and principles that are built into our life that determine how we respond in every situation. So, when those situations occurred for you that had a very negative impact on your life physically and emotionally, certainly you took on some beliefs and you modified your values of what was important for you and some of the predefined principles you live by. Those were all tainted by this situation that occurred to you that you saw as being unfair and there's been no justice to the perpetrators of that that you saw as a violation of you and your physical well-being so for the sake of the readers understanding that because they're probably wondering what is it that you felt happened to you that justice hasn't been done Uh, Quickly tell us that, then we can get back into what has happened that's caused this transformation in
0: you. Well, I'm not going to get into it. I can't. Right now, I will say that it's just, I've had a lot of pain when I thought I was innocent. But the innocent suffer. Jesus was no stranger to suffering while innocent.
1: Yes. So what did it take for you, Brian, to have this transformational shift, this new awareness that you have, that it's how you respond to the situations that occur in your life that's so important? And what are the beliefs that you had to take on in order for the response to be different?
0: Well, there's a list of ingredients here. It's conversations with wise counsel, processing the material and journaling, talking about it with you talking about it with others and time lots and lots of time and this process is not complete either by any means but it's well underway
1: it does take time and people think well that just changed your belief overnight and all of a sudden things will be different and it doesn't work that way it is a process it's a transition from one place to another place and I think once we put purposeful intentions on changing it, the change will occur, particularly if we start incorporating some new beliefs and some new precepts in our life that would bring about a different mindset, a different conversation that we have with other people, a different conversation that we have with ourselves. How has the conversation changed with yourself or how has the conversation changed with other people as you've gone through this transition? What does that look like?
0: Well, one example is, and you can tell me if this is a precept or not, it's that people are not the same as they were yesterday. I am a different person than I was yesterday. You know, some people stagnate, I guess, but often people learn and grow, and they're not the same person that they were yesterday. Is that a precept?
1: That's a belief. That's a belief. Yeah, you believe that yeah. people change. You believe that they're not the same that they were yesterday. Because you believe that, how do you respond differently? Because I will you forgive that.
0: them. The belief precept linkage belief is this person is not the person that they were yesterday. Yes. a vis will forgive them for what they did yesterday.
1: <laughs> because they were doing the very best they could, the prevailing awareness at that time whether it was five years ago, 10 years ago, or 20 years ago. And now they're not the same person today. So I can show grace to that person by forgiving them. Does that let them off the hook, your forgiveness of them? Or does it do something for you?
0: See, that's the thing is I wouldn't necessarily say they were doing the best they could, but I will say they didn't know what they were doing. (laughs) And it doesn't let them off the hook morally but it lets me off the hook for the blame and the frustration and the victimization that I keep rehashing. So I'm liberated and I'm allowed to be like, Hey, let's go get a drink. Let's have dinner. Let's visit a little bit. That bitterness is left at the door and I'm able to have better relationships. Yeah.
1: So you've come to believe it sounds like that forgiveness Causes a freedom in you, and does more for you than it does for the other person that you're talking about, because it's liberating the freedom that you have to reengage in the relationship in a new way, and making the relationship more important than anything.
0: Yeah, and even if I'm not engaging in the relationship because maybe it still needs more time, I feel free on my end. For sure. The perpetrator's involvement in the process is not required. When you have the precepts that we're talking about, I will forgive. It's all on me. I don't need justice because I've made a different choice on my end. Justice is apart from me. It's something that happens on its own. I have no control over it. That's another belief, which has led me to, I don't need to confront that person with this. Because I'm doing my process. I'm letting it go. I'm moving on. Maybe some other thing will confront them and they will have an awakening. It's not my problem. It's not my business. My business is my own self-awareness, healing, growth, progress, my being there for my children, being there for my loved ones. That's what I need.
1: So it sounds to me like you have learned to ride the elephant and you know, sometimes we don't want to talk about that elephant in the room for years and years and years. And sometimes even like today, we don't want to talk about the elephant in the room. However, you're saying to me here today that riding the elephant is taking that on and making a new decision about it, having new beliefs around that, that you don't need to have justice in that situation. However, a whole host of other things have come to be as a result of you riding the elephant, facing that nemesis and making some decisions, modifying some of your beliefs, creating new precepts in your life that cause you to have a different response to that situation than you used to have. And it's freeing and liberating to have that. What a gift that is to be able to ride the elephant and face that challenge and see it differently is there any benefit in your life? Have you found that having the experiences that you went through in that and now the transitioning of your response to those situations, has it made you a stronger person? Has it made you a more thoughtful person? Has it made you a better father? Has it made you a better partner? Has it made you a better person as a result of riding the elephant? Are you starting to experience what true success might taste like, that special fulfillment that comes with conquering that challenge and responding to it differently.
0: Yeah, definitely. And much like you, you also chose to ride the elephant. And you get slow benefits over time. Sometimes it's really scary. And you still have foibles. You still have annoying habit <laughs> that may never break and that's okay and I too have not you know it's not over I'm still very very flawed but I have definitely become a better person before these things so, oh, it's hard to talk about this without using like spiritual language but I am a container of thought and experience. And within me, there is a treasure that other people can receive by knowing my story and knowing how I dealt with that over time. And I've seen in the people who open that treasure chest and look inside, I've seen in them an admiration, a love, a respect, sometimes a beneficial growth, and if that's all there is, so be it. I think that that's what life is, that you are a container. You hold inside of you a treasure. Your vulnerabilities are the place where you meet people for real, and When you meet people there in good faith, you can really get a lot of inspiration and love and joy out of those human experiences that we have. And in a way, those human experiences become divine by their life-changing power. And that's priceless. That's huge. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, because... Your stories, when presented to people, have that same power too.
1: Yes, as all stories have an inherent power to them, however, it's up to each of us to take that story and evaluate it, apply it, and process it in a way that causes a transformational response that can benefit not just you, but benefit others in your life. You know, you talked about some of the things that you've learned around parenting in this process of riding the elephant and these process of having these discussions. And what has this experience of us having this dialogue affected your parenting in your two children?
0: Well, I am searching for something different in my children's behavior when they make mistakes, I still get angry sometimes, but I'm searching for affirmation and grace. And so that exercise in and of itself just causes me to see every situation with my kids a little differently. I mean, I feel tired. I feel exhausted sometimes. But instead of getting awash in that feeling and retreating, I'm instead critically thinking about, okay, how do I turn this around? How do I make them aware of their own character qualities? So instead of just saying, go, go take a time out, and then taking a break from one another's presence, I have this extra layer of critical thinking and thought and processing, like Bloom's taxonomy, instead of just habitually saying, okay, you messed up, here's your punishment. I'm now critically thinking of ways to apply what we've talked about in the follow-up so that there's an extra layer of learning and growth around everything that happens, good and bad.
1: That's powerful, Brian, because in every situation our kids present us with, there's an opportunity to learn. If life is a series of problems or is life a series of opportunities And when you start to see the challenges that kids throw up at you in your face, you can start saying, this is a problem, and the way I solve problems is to separate people, give them timeouts, give them a punishment, walk away, get angry, yell, scream, any number Uh of things. And now you're saying, well, okay, what's my opportunity here? And of course, when you ask yourself that question, what's my opportunity? (laughs) You have to critically think, because... What you've always done habitually was just to yell or scream and get angry or give my time out or punish them in some way. And so now you're saying, okay, now that I have this critically thinking equation going on in my mind and saying, if I really truly believe life is a series of opportunities and I see, I need to find the opportunity and make an esteem building experience out of this for my children and identify some of their character qualities, to build them up. When you start thinking that way, it puts you to the test and you're starting to have that taste of what that's like. And that'll taste sweeter and sweeter as time goes on. And you mentioned earlier, some of these things take time. And this is also one of those things that takes time for you to get better and better at seizing the opportunity to make it good for them and to find the opportunity in the situation to make it a teachable moment and to identify qualities that you see in your children and make them see them as well. I think that is huge, and it's an exciting thought to hear you say that because my grandchildren are going to be the beneficiary of that, and it's wonderful to see that you have seen that as an opportunity and then you're maybe struggling with it or finding a way to process through that. So, Brian, it looks like to me that you've taken some of these lessons that you've had within ride the elephant and within our discussion and really found ways to be a more proactive parent. And, uh, that's very exciting.
0: Any other thoughts about that? It was not my habit to do that. And it was kind of difficult at first to do that and it's becoming easier as okay. time past. So it feels less forced and more natural to go straight to this different thought.
1: I think that's a great way of saying it. It seems forced at first. Sometimes when you take on a new preset, you take on a different yeah. concept. It's like you're saying something then they say, well, you know, I'm saying this precept. This is what I want to do. I will do this and I will do that. But you know when your heart is kind of not there yet because you have these powerful negations in your mind. So negations are constantly in tug of war with, you see the benefit of incorporating a new precept in your life, but you got this crazy negation going on. And you talked about negations earlier and how we remove these negations in our self-talk. It's difficult, not just with parenting, but in our relationships with other people.
0: Yeah, it's great that you brought up negation, because I have a good example of this. My children have called me out in the past and said, you're not even listening to me. And my negation was always, yeah, but you're complaining and you have no idea. You're just a child. You don't know what it's like to be your parent. You don't understand where I'm coming from. You haven't thought about this. You have no experience with this what you're going to say is so benign and insignificant and unimportant in the grand scheme of things that I don't even want to hear it. Those are the kind of negations that I've had towards my children in the past. So now when I see that they're trying to tell me something, the precept is I want to hear what he has to say. And I have jettisoned those negations of, You're just a kid, you don't know what you're talking about, you're probably just going to ask me for more time playing your video game, and I don't even want to hear it. And now I say, I want to hear what you have to say. And I've started saying it out loud to them, I say, listen, I want to hear what you have to say. However, we have to agree that you're going to say it calmly, without whining, without crying, without being upset at me, so... Take a couple of deep breaths through your nose, and then once you're calm, I will hear what you have to say. And that has made a huge difference in the way that we communicate.
1: Wow. Well, that's a powerful negation, being eradicated by a different belief, a new awareness, and having a different belief about how you can respond and getting a different outcome. That's That's awesome. One thing about negations is... Negations are that self-talk, that internal dialogue that we have that oftentimes rattles around in our mind. And even though we might not say it, we're thinking that about this person or thinking that about our kids. And these negations keep causing us to have these negative emotions and negative feelings and negative demeanor, and they keep us stuck. And it's oftentimes difficult when you say this new precept you know, I'm going to do this different now. I'm going to do this different with my kids. I'm going to stop and listen to them and really have a conversation. But first of all, I have to get it to be civil and get everyone to ratchet down, and take a deep breath, and then say, okay, I'm willing to have this conversation now. Well, the whole time you're saying that, what's firing off in your mind is the negation still. And it takes yeah. a while for those negations to be mitigated and to have them eventually go away. You know, negations are very interesting. You just don't say, stop having that negation or, you know, just, I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, the problem with it is you can say that consciously, but subconsciously the negation's still rattling around in your mind. And until you change that core belief deep down inside, the negation is not going to go away. So if you were to say, what is the core belief that I had to take on in order for that negation to start melting away? Would that core belief sound something like, I love my son just the way he is? I'm going to totally unconditionally accept him for who he is. Another one might be, he's a loving child of God, and I'm going to love him as God loves him. It might be saying something like, obviously, my son is a really good thinker because he says things that are kind of negative, but he says them and they actually have a logical process in his thinking. It's a negative thought, but it is a process. So how can I take the skill of him as a critically thinking processor? Because I know your two kids. I spent a lot of time with them. And they're both very, very strong critical thinkers. And I think initially, unfortunately, they can really push your buttons and test your metal because they're such good thinkers. They're such good critical thinkers. However, how do you then say, okay, taking their strength as a critical thinker, how can I take that and get them to think about this differently, so that these negations that are going on in their mind, that they melt away as well as the negations melt away in my mind? Does that make sense to you? Or is that too much of a obtuse thought for people to comprehend? Weigh in on that, Brian, or maybe you can say it in another way that might resonate with the listener.
0: Yeah, so critical thinking, it seems... As a child, when their prefrontal cortex begins to develop, it uses its power to explain, defend, and justify and reason why it should get more time with the game, or why homework should be done later, or why it's somehow acceptable for me to be behaving rambunctiously. And so instead of critically thinking of creative alternative, it is critically thinking of justifications and explanations for why, hey, this behavior is okay and you should just tolerate it, That It's kind of funny. And then, so you have to then further mold that prefrontal cortex into critical thinking, a healthy alternative to misbehavior. And that's tricky because the brain immediately wants to go to using its critical thinking power to explain and defend and justify. But the exercise of Just managing the conversation with breathing and simple ground rules like, okay, one person talks at a time. We're not going to talk over each other. And when I say something to you, I want you to pause and think about what I said to you instead of immediately just throwing back at me whatever comes right to the front of your mind. That is a very difficult exercise. And I often find that my negation, which are still rattling around in my brain, are true. In other words, <laughs> my presumption about what they're going to say and how it's probably going to be geared toward some selfish acquisition on their part, I'm usually right about that. It's a safe assumption that they're asking me about something that is insignificant, unimportant, and... It's salient to them and their own selfish wants. But instead of getting angry about that, I have alternatively flipped that negation and said, that's innocent. That is being young. And so instead of getting frustrated about that and thinking thoughts like, kid, you have no idea what the real world is like. You have no idea how unfair it is. You don't, you don't know what I've been and you're lucky that your childhood is much better than mine. Instead of being angry about that, I celebrate that. Your childhood is much more beautiful, healthy, and innocent than my own. So let me sit here and just bask in your foolish innocence with a smile on my face because (laughs) you're just a kid. And I love that this is so significant for you because that is an indication of how innocent you are and so i just smile and listen and validate where they're coming from and try to help them come up with a solution by asking questions well what would be a reasonable solution to this disagreement that you're having with your brother right now for example well yada yada okay yeah but you're still talking about the argument. I'm now talking about solutions. What's a reasonable solution? And then all of a sudden, they start coming at me with, well, if he does it for 20 minutes, then I can do it for 20 minutes. And, And it's like, okay, now we're critically thinking about how to work this out. And it's not me just being the authoritative parent. It's now my authority meeting them halfway. We're now having a discussion, and they get to try out, well, what about this? What if we did this? And I can say, uh, that doesn't seem reasonable. What's another idea that you have about how to work this out? It's fun. It's actually become fun instead of what used to feel like a pain in the butt and a waste of time and a frustrating thing is now kind of fun because I'm watching their innocent brain process a very unfair, un innocent polluted universe, which we all have to do. So we're riding the elephant together all the time.
1: Yeah. and you are teaching those young boys how to ride the elephant at a very young age. They will be the beneficiaries of being great elephant jockeys as they grow into their life. You know Brian, the ride the elephant has a lot of concepts and a lot of, really challenges the reader. We've challenged the listener on these podcasts with some thoughts that maybe were hard to hear. Maybe many of them were rejected them. What do you say about the apathetic or the resistant adult to reflecting on their victim mindset or reflecting on all the negations that are rallying around their mind and then justifying those negations and say, I have every right to feel that way. No one knows what I've been through. If you only were put in my shoes, you have no idea. How would you say that Ride the Elephant and some of these concepts we're talking about could help that resistant person that has just gotten so frustrated and you see their frustration in their thought, words, and deeds? And what would you say as a coach, as you're coaching your kids, as you coach now this apathetic adult, what might you say to them to move forward and begin their? process of transformation
0: I would say take your time be patient with yourself and I have to be patient with them I can think of a few people who are troubled or angsty or apathetic and that's not up to me change that and I remain in that way sometimes too there's some things in the book that kind of make me uncomfortable or like strike a nerve with me i not really am ready to fully agree with some of the concepts so if i'm having a conversation and the person is disagreeing and negating at every turn it's like hey you know just because you've developed that concept there's other ones that you're still not fully sure about so we're all at a different benchmark in the whole process and i still have More questions. Every concept or question that comes up kind of a lot of times just leads to more questions. And some of those are frustrating in the way that they're unanswered. And I don't like the answer. And I have to spend a couple of years bandying about that answer to see if it sticks. And still, some of it hasn't stuck. So I have to empathize with a person who is still stuck because I, in many ways, in nuanced ways, also. Am a little bit stuck now. Fortunately, I have the ability to create boundaries between me and people who aren't going in the same direction. And thank God for those boundaries because not every person is going to be my person, you know, and it's not my problem to solve. A teammate, a loved one, a spouse the boundary is not as strong, but a lot of other people it's just like, well, you're on your own and I put up a boundary and like, you'll figure out whatever you figure out in time. Now there's other people where I don't have that boundary. And if they're going through a challenge, I want to let that in and see how they're doing and see if I can help. And it's an opportunity for me to do self-reflection Like, for example, we talk about red behavior. Noticing red behavior in other people is like a cul-de-sac. You go and you see it, and then you're forced to turn around and look right back at yourself and see it in yourself.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's true. We do have a tendency to observe in others what we do ourselves. In fact, we see it so clearly in others because we know it so well because we do it ourselves. It's been interesting the number of times I've had that exact thing happen to me as I reflect on something that somebody else is doing or saying or being and catching myself like, oh, I'm doing the same thing. And sometimes we don't catch ourselves doing that right away. In fact, we most often don't. Sometimes it takes wise counsel to come in and make an observation about that that uncovers a blind spot that we refuse to look at. So I think one of the things that we are attempting to do and ride the elephant is to have people consider their blind spots and reflect on them and reflect on the deep-seated belief that's the underpinning of that particular awareness or blind spot and what they could do to bring about a change in that. So... It's been a wonderful process for me to kind of put some of those thoughts together. By no means did I write this book with the understanding that uh, I had all the answers. In fact, I probably had most of the questions and not so many of the answers. And I think it's the same questions that a lot of us have, but it's that process of reflecting on those questions, reflecting on the critically thinking that goes along critically thinking those processes through and those questions through where we can go back and say what is in our personal history what caused us to have a core belief what was our parenting like or what was our being raised like what was our education like what was our religious teachings like what about all of those things that causes us to respond the way we do and the reason there's no one right answer and there's no one right way is that everyone comes from a, a different experiences and everyone's experiences are unique to them as is their solutions. So when you write a book about solutions for dealing with the experiences you have in your life, it has to be open-ended and thought provoking and leave conclusions to the listener or the reader to come up with the answers themselves and being a good coach and being a good friend and being a good partner is to help that person process through that. And most importantly, give them the time they need to make those shifts and transitions. So as we come to a close in this conversation today, Brian, do you have any final thoughts?
0: Yeah. One of my favorite beliefs that I've taken on, you recite this mantra, this belief, quite a bit, which is that riding the elephant or character development or this process of self-examination is a prescription for self. And you might see it in others and you might want to preach and project onto others. but a really valuable belief is that this process is a prescription for me and my own personal transition and growth. And therefore the precept is I will, recognize that other people are at different places in character development different than me i will give people space and time to go through their process i will let people go because love is not attachment if you really love someone you got to give them their space for them to learn what they need to learn and in the meantime it's a prescription for self so work on yourself All you can do is hope that other people are working on themselves, and that's huge. And as you notice people in your life, especially children, talking about children again, whether your kid is 7 or 17 or 37, this stuff is still going to come up. And you can only project so much. You can only tell them so much. They've got to do all this on their own as difficult as it is, and it's hard to be patient with that. That's just the way it is. And you taught me that. My relationship with other people has really reinforced that. So that's a belief that I would encourage listeners to really think on and think about precepts that they can apply to focus this process on their own challenges and then drop little hints little present, non-coercive, non-threatening, patient, kind, loving, little trinkets of wisdom and affirmation to the people in their lives who are hurting, and just see what happens. Yeah, it's powerful, Brian,
1: what you say, and when we do these sayings, we can just watch what happens and watch what unfolds, and as we watch it unfold, it's a very fulfilling experience to see the the transitions that take place and the aha moments that people have as they self-discover and find ways to see things differently and the brightness you see on your children's face and the brightness that you see on your friend's face as you give those gifts away are very much blessings to them and to you. So I want to thank you, Brian. You've been a blessing for this series and these conversations we've had on the call. Thank you so much that you were willing to join me with this. Not every father has the opportunity for a son to say the things you've said to me and the opportunities we've had to grow together. So, thank you for that, Brian. Again, I love you. With that, I'm going to welcome everyone back next week for Ride You Love It Today. Thanks again, Brian.
0: Thank you. Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week.